What's up, everybody? Welcome to Leaders of Lifestyle, a podcast all about real estate, sports, and entertainment. Take a deep dive with me into the world of high-end lifestyle and get exposed to the different leaders behind the scenes of it all. So let's get right into it. Welcome, everybody, to Leaders of Lifestyle podcast. I'm your host, Michael Ferraro, and this week, we'd like to introduce uh, our guest, broker owner of Corcoran Reverie in Northwest Florida, Hillary Farnham Faust, real estate strategist of luxury residential sales across the Emerald Coast of Florida for over 18 years. She started her real estate career in the renowned communities of Regatta Bay and Watersound Beach, and Hillary is well-versed in the art of selling real estate. Hillary, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. So uh, how is your specific market doing right now? Well, like all of Florida, inventory is still extremely low and it's very difficult unless you have a product in a very specific price point that, you know, isn't in a multiple offer situation. Right. We are still dealing with that a hundred percent. You know, certainly there is a price threshold where the multiple offer situation isn't happening and that frenzy has definitely died down, but anything that comes or anything that you can find, most of it's become off-market opportunities. Right. You have to act quickly. So yeah. same as it's kind of been all year for everybody in Florida and it's, everywhere, I think. It's such an interesting time because everybody across the U.S., I'm right, we have done a lot of these podcasts, everybody's going through the same thing at the same time. And yeah. we were just and talking I, about, yeah. Yeah, no, okay, go ahead. Just talking about, uh, before we started, about the whole vacation market yeah. and that whole thing. And uh, how it's kind of, it's crazy, you know, even myself looking at vacation properties and stuff like that. It's, it's, uh, it's insane how much the market has grown, especially in Florida has just exploded. Yeah, well, and especially where we are. So we're in the Northwest Florida part of the state, which was fairly undiscovered to mm. the East Coast specifically. Right. You know, we have not been a typical destination for that area, but because of COVID, we became just, you know, we were discovered. And so now we have a whole other segment of people, you know, figuring out there's this other part of Florida and kind of falling in love with it. And so our our market base definitely shifted and that's been really fun and exciting. Yes, we're gonna talk about that. Uh, I have some questions specifically about that okay. later. So if you're listening and you're interested into, into those kind of questions, we're gonna get into that for sure. But let's learn a little bit more about you. So. Um, we did some research, obviously we, we, we learned a little bit that you career with your internship at Disney, uh, because yeah. you had an internship at Disney world. So how did that lead you into a world of real estate? Yeah. So I actually credit Disney for everything. I think everyone, should, <laughs> I think, and they don't pay me to say that. I think everyone should go work for Disney for, for a few months, at least okay. I actually ended up doing more than my internship there. I ended up going into their full-time program and I was there for multiple years. It was an incredible training opportunity because it really is one of those companies where when you go through their very intense training, you come out a very different person and it translates then into every industry. If you are a service-based right. type you know, right. individual, which I very much real estate for me has always been very service based because sure. it's always I've always been on the luxury side of it. And the luxury side of real estate, of course, is service based. 
So, but the actual true connection of how Disney got me to where I am is because the largest private landowner in the state of Florida at the time when I had come out of Disney was developing um, all these incredible amenity, Disney-like communities along the Gulf of Mexico in Northwest Florida. And they were the it developer. Everybody you know, wanted a piece of what they were doing and what they were creating. And the CEO at the time had come from Disney. He had a Disney background. And so as soon as he discovered that I had Disney on my resume, I was able to kind of go to the top of the list at a very young age, very quickly. Wow. And I was put in, yeah, and I was put into a position of sales and marketing at a very young age because of Disney. It, it, there would, I would not have been able to get that opportunity. And then that catapulted my wow. entire, the rest of my real estate career into luxury, you know, where I am today. Awesome. And so, yeah. so what was the first position at Disney? Like, what was your first job? Okay. I was the front desk at a hotel at one of the Disney resorts. Okay. So you weren't goofy. I was not goofy. He's the only one I would have qualified for because I happened to be almost six feet tall. I could not oh, have been okay. a princess. Sadly, you have to be much, much shorter than me. But no, I didn't get to be goofy. That's awesome. And so yeah. you started in kind of hospitality with it. Okay. Got it. Yeah, my degree was actually in, you know, business hospitality and I was pursuing, you know, that path in life. And Disney was an amazing opportunity to learn everything about the hospitality side. And then I, you know, discovered that you don't necessarily you, make the living maybe you want to make work in the hours you work in hospitality. Right. So exactly. I, I had, a, I had a shift a little bit after that. Gotcha. Gotcha. So we also know that originally you were not too keen on getting into real estate. Cause I believe your mom was a real estate agent and then, so you weren't as into it for some reason, but then what, what mm -hmm. kind of was the turnaround for you that you got into real estate? Oh yeah. That's an understatement. I wanted to do anything but real estate. I avoided okay. it like the plague sure. because you know, I grew up with a mom on the phone all the time. And back then it was yeah. literally just one phone. There were no cell phones. Was it the long and cord just, on the wall? And yes, it just, yeah. that's it. And I could have talked to my friends. I could have yeah. talked to my boyfriend. It was just, you know, so I really hated her career. Um, very selfishly, I thought it was, you know, not good. And I avoided it. So I, out of, out of college, I ended up doing the marketing for what, is still today Regatta Bay Golf and Country Club. It was brand new at the time, though. They were just putting the golf course in. They were just putting the roads in, so it was new development. And yeah. the leader and developer of that company asked me to get my license just because I was there in the on-site office. And he said, you know, sometimes you're here and you're the only one here because the agents are out on site, and I'd like you to be licensed so that you can talk pricing. Uh, right. Okay, but it was a trick. Because the day I got my license, he said, oh, I'm so sorry, but you have to become an agent now because one of our agents is no longer with us. So he knew all along. He was Yo, a visionary. Oh, yeah. He knew all along. So that is how that happened. And, of course, I was meant to do it. I was, you know, it was what I was always supposed to do because the second I started selling and it was, of course, just my passion. So you knew right away, you're like, oh, okay. Immediately. Well, here's the thing. I was already doing it. I was, I just didn't have the license. Like I was already selling the lifestyle of the community because everybody who would come in to the sales center, I was telling them how wonderful, you know, to live on a golf course and to live on the bay and the lifestyle of living on the bay. And 
it was just really natural for me to just talk about the lifestyle because I wasn't selling because I wasn't licensed. Right. And so that's what he saw in me. He saw that I was selling the lifestyle, which is what, of course, luxury sales is. And it's not really selling. And so my I just naturally was really understanding of the lifestyle component. And he saw that. And so that's why he was very he was a very wise man. um, (laughs) And he was he's one of our um, primary developers in the Destin area. He has a lot of claims to fame. And I see why. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. So then you kind of start the real estate career, whether it's your choice or not, but thank God. Right. Awesome. Became my choice. Yeah, sure. And then you just continue to grow and build uh, through that process. Um, Speak a little bit about kind of fast forwarding a lot, maybe, but Corcoran Reverie, you starting that company how did you get the name? How did that whole process start? That's a big thing. So what 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 was that like? Yeah, so I, I jumped from, you know, new construction developer sales from like 1997 to about 2008 until I opened my own brokerage in 2010. Yep. And then I identified that all of my business was luxury and my average, you know, price point was just luxury and I needed to create a brand that was luxury and no confusion Got it. because the brand I was with, we were offering actually different, totally different price points. And it wasn't just all luxury brands. So I decided to branch out and do that. When I did that, unbeknownst to me is when I showed up on Corcoran's metrics. So uh-huh. yeah, when I went out on my own, they said they had known about me for years, but it wasn't until I went out on my own on the luxury side of it that identified me Um, as being a possible partner for them. And then again, unbeknownst to me, they were watching me and they watched my social media metrics. They were watching my recruitment. They were watching my sales, watching my growth. And it was incredibly successful overnight. We looked incredibly successful overnight with the new luxury brokerage. And so after they did all of their homework and, you know, studied the market, they, they approached me and you know, said they were looking for a partner in their new launching of affiliating. And it was actually kind of a funny story. I had just come back to work from having a baby. And this was in 2019. Okay. And they had left a card for me. And I thought it was a joke because a lot of my agents were kind of into pranks. And I did not realize that Corcoran was doing the affiliations because they had just started. And I, of course, never thought they'd be coming to, you know, our little beach town to, sure, to do sure. one of their first affiliations. So when I called the gentleman at Corcoran who was representing them, I said, is this a joke? Is you, are you really with Corcoran? So that's how we started our relationship. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you pull my leg, sure. Yeah. yeah, right. So he loves to tell that story. And I, of course, knew the brand. I love the brand. I very much identified with the brand. I love the independent nature of, you know, spirit of their company. I love the everything, their, their marketing. But I still, you know, like I said, I had just launched my own brand and my own brokerage and it was very successful. But the more that I was able to come to know and understand and learn about Corcoran's mission and what they were wanting to do in the future, I just knew I had to be a part of it. Sure. It was too exciting to not, I felt like it was a once in a lifetime opportunity to get to be a part of a growth opportunity. You know, I never had any interest necessarily in being under a brand, but what they had to offer as far as the growth potential I knew was going to be exciting 
and I did. I wanted to be part of that ride. Yeah. So so when so you come out of 08, which was I'm sure rough for everybody. All right. You start your company in 10. Yes. And then how far how long after that to when corp to corporate? Yes. So then so from 2010 until 2020, I was the broker owner of these other companies. And then we launched in April of 2020 as Corcoran Reverie. Got it. And in the launch, I had actually merged with another independent boutique luxury company in our same town. And so we merged and launched together under Corcoran Reverie on the same day during a pandemic. And we had to, we had to do it virtually. We could not do it in person. So in all the history of Rilogy, they have never had anyone do a virtual launch um, under any of their companies. So we made history and wow. it was either going to be epic or it was going to be a terrible <laughs> flop. And thank God I can say it was epic and it, yeah. it was actually pretty amazing. So I took a huge risk opening during the pandemic and I can't, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't super nervous to have done that. What's crazy here is I did the same thing. May, okay. I was acquired by uh, Compass during that time. Yeah. Um, okay. What's crazy is the crash of 08. Yeah. 2010, you start this adventure. They're like, okay, here we go. I'm going to build this brand. I'm going to crush it. And then you spend 10 years and 10 years later, a decade later, after all that, now you're, you go in with, with Corcoran. Yeah. What was the, what was the feeling like? Was there any similarities between the going out on your own for the first time and starting this brand that you had all like this, you know, gung ho, and then also going into Corcoran? There, there are different things at different times, but was there any similarities of the feeling of like a renewed energy or anything with it? And well, yeah, but both were extreme risk. Both now were both were done during extremely risky times. Because in 2010, we were still deep, deep in the trenches of, you know, coming off recession. Everyone thought I was crazy. They're like, you're opening a brokerage. What are you talking about? Everyone's shutting down. They're like, what? Like, you know, we went from, you know, three, 4,000 agents to 1,000 agents. I mean, you know the drill, right? And then, of course, COVID. So both times actually almost felt identical because I felt like I was taking huge risk when everybody else was a little bit in, like, fear mode. Right. And so I think what I've, well, I've learned about myself recently through Gallup that I am a visionary. I am futuristic thinking. So now it all makes complete sense, yeah. but I take risk when other people turn into their fears. I have learned that about myself. So I certainly seem to seek, you know, taking steps most people won't take. And so far it's paid off and I've been really, really fortunate. So, I mean, I could resonate so much with that. And I think there's a lot of people who are in our business where, you know, first of all, to be in our business and be a commission only person, you know, that's a, that's one thing. And then throw yourself into that business and then be successful. And then say, you know, I'm going to add another backpack to that of weight and basically say, I'm going to open up this business and I'm going to take all the responsibility. I'm going to have the, all the, you know, insurances and I'll, I'll take, you know, all the different stuff. When you, when you started um, the business in 2010 and just talking about that, because that was probably even although that the pandemic opening up was a risk, right? Every, nobody knew what was going to happen. Right. That 2010 of opening it, did you, was it, was it pure, like, we're just going to go for this? Or was it like, well, you know what I think I could think I can start this thing. and I'm going to bring over X amount of agents with me. So I'm going to be pretty good. Or were you like, Hey, 
I have to be on my own. I cannot be underneath anybody and I got to have my own brand and that kind of thing. Like, what was that like? Like that, that driving feeling that like, that's the reason I got to do this. I just had a driving force within me that I knew I wanted to actually help other agents. It was always coming from a place of wanting to mentor. Mm -hmm. I had already reached the place in my career where I knew I could offer agents and already was offering agents at the company I was currently at a lot of mentorship. And I realized I was way too young to do that for somebody else for a long time. I knew right. that I needed to take that desire to mentor and go and build it myself and do it the way I wanted to mentor and the way that I thought that would set them up the most for success. And I felt I had a lot to offer. So mine was always more of a service-based, like my real estate at that point was already fairly stable and successful because of all the repeat and investment. I'm, I've always been really heavy investor. And so my investors have stayed with me for years and years. I, you know, they trust me and I've always done really well by them. So I've had that base for a very long time and it allowed me, I knew to go into that next step of my career and, and become a mentor. Yeah. Do you think it's um, for people who may be listening and thinking about doing their own thing now? I, I, I talked to a lot of different people from brokers to, you know, uh, independent agents and especially people that have been around a little bit and have seen the different changes of the guard and different real estate from small mom and pops to the globos, yeah. to all different. And then the 08s to the pandemics. Do you think that the, in, in a time where these bigger companies are a little bit more open to spending some money and recruiting agents heavier or just obtaining entire companies, small mom and pops, I think it's harder more than ever now to open up a small independent um, or do you think it's the same as ever? Oh yeah, no, I think it's completely shifted. And actually that was a big part of the decision I made. I thought I would always be a small independent boutique broker owner. I had no interest. In fact, I hate to say it, but I used to make fun of the bigger guys and be like, oh, I don't want to be a number. And why would you want to be a number? And you know, all those things, right. That I said, I was like the poster child for anti-brand, big brand. Right. And now I think there's no other path. I, mm. I actually think to, for those, I mean, I hate to say it so strongly, but I think if you're stuck in that and not going into what is the inevitable, that's not wise. And I think to do that is not wise. And I would never go back into that. It has shifted. You're right. It has completely shifted. And it it doesn't make sense where it used to be only about the agent and the agent was their brand and nothing else mattered. That's completely opposite now. That's, that's not right anymore. And so I, I saw that shift happening. I saw it happening for a few years before I decided to do this. And I was still willing to stay in that small independent boutique place because it was good for me. Right. But I realized it wasn't good for my agents. And that's where everybody has to draw the line. If you're going to do it just for you, because you know that you can, like, you're just going to be you, yourself, and your assistant or whatever, that's one thing. But to bring other agents into that and not be able to compete and give them everything they need to compete on that is not really right. And, you know, and you really, I mean, I now realize so many people, you know, will go get their broker's license and, you know, try to save a buck, so to speak. And really, they're not saving anything because obviously there's a huge cost in, in, in doing that yourself. But it's also just a complete disservice to to agents and if you're not wanting to be a broker to actually broker other agents and build up other agents business 
then you're in it for the wrong reasons. And that's not, that's not going to be a path of success in my opinion. So you see no, in today's world, it went from the agent and what the business, the agent can do to now it's what the company that they're attached to, what the company brings to that agent, what company systems and tools. So what's happening is that the, yes. the, the, I guess maybe the whole trend of the last five years it's kind of been these big global companies are saying, okay, let's change our model and go to spending our money on the systems and tools and the platforms to then give to the agents. The agent has more at their disposal and then they can, it's always kind of been like that, but I feel like it's less of a pitch um, on, on some of the split stuff because you can't, you know, you have companies that are hundred percent commissions now that that world's out there. Yeah. So if you're going to say, well, no, you're going to just do it off of commissions. No, we can't have that conversation. But if you want to actually go about services and what the brand brings to you and how much more business you can get for one, that's where you're saying that's that's the play from now on. That is. I mean, I can't predict. Obviously, it could shift again. But for right now, we are for sure in the shift, a major shift. And I, it took our town or where I sell a little bit longer because we are a smaller beach town and so I think those smaller boutique companies were able to survive a lot longer than you know in the cities but it's definitely that yeah. writing is on the wall and I find I actually find it kind of sad um I I think there it was a pretty cool era you know that it was all these small boutique companies doing their thing but this 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 what trend that we're all in now which I don't think is actually a trend I think it's just what it is yeah. is pretty spectacular for the actual client so your buyers and sellers are who are benefiting at just epic levels. And that's what we're supposed to be in this for the service of those clients. And so if you're truly in it to serve your clients and not serve your commission split, you're going to give them these tools. You know, that's bottom line. Yeah, it's like a, it's one or the other. It's like a well, 100% commission. You can have everything. Don't worry. You're the man. Uh, but you just have a service fee that you're going to pay this virtual company. Versus, no, you're going to be on this split. It's going to be not a not a 90% or 100% split. Right. But, but look, you, your company is here to support you. You get all these systems and tools. You get the great people around you. We have a big reach. And you have these great platforms. And it's kind of like which one benefits you more. And depending on what kind of business you're doing. It's, and, you know, if you go look at the real trends, you look at the top 25 agents in each market with small team, independent team, big team, and doesn't matter what market you're in around the United States, uh, you don't really see independence, small independence no. anymore. No, not maybe, at all. Maybe, maybe a couple of boutiques in like Malibu yeah. or something like yeah. that. Yeah, there's like a one-off here and there, but yeah, you're. That's right. All you have to do is look at all the the statistics are just black and white. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy actually. Yeah, it's, I think it's exciting though. I mean, I think it's, I think it's an exciting time to be in real estate. I think it's especially like for our agents and we're getting like in, we're getting to be a part of something that is just this, you know, such fast growing, our network's growing literally every single day. And that's, it's exciting. Yeah. I do have a prediction that I do think, because anytime you have these shifts, there's always something that grows out. Like what grew out of the 08, the downward spiral of the big, the big companies that had to do a lot of layoffs because there's just too much for the bulk to hang on came the, 100% commission business because a lot of that was like, no, you know, we as a company, we can't offer you these anything, but, but the agents still wanted to work and people yeah. feel like, well, I can make a 6% on everybody if I do a million agents all over the place. So is that, yeah. I think if you're switching back to the, 
the big companies again. And now they're like, now, no, we have the money now. Now we know what you need. Now we need to support you. I think out of that might be some blend of that. I kind of feel like there's going to yeah. be, I don't really know what it is. We've talked about it in my little group. Um, we don't know. It, it might go somewhere, but we'll see. We'll see. Well, I'm glad that you made the jump, and I'm glad you've been so successful, Thank and I'm, you. I'm glad you're enjoying it. Um, I want to pivot and talk a little bit about um, – so you work with high-end clientele, and yes. you work with high-end real estate. Um, how, do you, how do you find working with that level of – like uh, when you're working with a high-end client, they have different, not different needs, but do you feel it's different for you than it is a regular agent's working on a regular home? Is it, is, is it a little different for you? Absolutely. I think there is a expectation um, at that wealth level where you are providing, you know, above and beyond full service. It is an absolute level of service that is unlike anything else. And unless you have an extremely strong support group supporting you to support your clients, you're drowned. So yeah. I have a, a pretty incredible team because, you know, it's not saying to them, hey, let me put you in touch with the inspection company. Hey, let me put you in touch with the lender. No, you're setting it up for them. You're the one doing all of it. I mean, they shouldn't have to ever pick up the phone. They shouldn't ever be doing one thing. They yeah. should get to the end of that transaction and go, wow. Gosh, that was the easiest thing I've ever, ever gone through. Right. Yeah. But it puts a huge burden on you as, you know, the listing agent or you as the representing the buyer. If you take on that level of service, it is what distinguishes you and it is what makes them want to continue to work with you. But it's clearly a, a, a massive undertaking. Yeah, I do. It's I, a high I, demand. It's very right. demanding. They don't care. If it's 10 o'clock on a Sunday, they don't care right. if you're at dinner. They absolutely expect you to step aside. They absolutely expect you to check your personal life for them because it is, again, it's just such high levels of wealth that you're dealing with. There is no, oh, I'm sorry, let me call you in an hour because I'm at dinner, right? That doesn't yeah. exist. There are some agents that try to draw that line for people. And that have been super successful. And hey, listen, at six o'clock, I shut my phone off. Whatever. Yeah. yeah you can do that. You can do that <laughs> for yeah. so long. Um, and maybe you've built a book of business that's been successful at a certain point. But the the the, the way that the clientele and the high end work today is they work on their phone just like you. They okay. send a text just like you. And now they have issues. So when you're dealing with somebody who's buying four, you know, two, four, five, ten, fifteen, twenty million dollar property, and they're moving and stuff is happening. Um, the, the, you know, you need to be on the reception line, the other, the other line of that. I deal with agents sometimes and I talk to agents and they, well, I, you know, I don't, I don't live in those places. I don't have that kind of money and I don't really feel comfortable around those people. And they're, they're really high maintenance. And, you know, it's like, well, th that's fine. As long as you're, you're aware, but this is not a, a transaction where you're going to have other people take it. You know, you have a lot of people to run with here and service right. is huge. Coming from a service-oriented business, you're, that's yeah. so easy for you, right? That's like second it, nature. Yeah. 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 Well, and I think it's also, it's the cliche, though. It's anticipating what they're going to need before they know what they need. Right. It's certainly not waiting for them to ask you even to do something. It's you saying, here's what I'm going to do for you to make this right. so much better and so much easier. And I, I will tell you, we hear all the time from our clients, like, wow, 
we didn't know why you were this way and we didn't know why you were so successful. Now we know. Right. And, and they're always surprised, too, that we continue to follow up with them after the closing. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest number one factor for all agents across every price point, right? They get that transaction closed and they don't mean to fall off the face of the earth. They actually think they're being polite by not bothering them anymore after the transaction. But it's right. the biggest mistake they can make because they the buyer or, or seller feels like you, you know, just used them for that transaction and you're done with them and you've moved on. And it feels weird to them because they've talked to you every single day for 30 days or 45 days or whatever. And it's you can't just let it end. So I'm so guilty of that. I have. We all are. <laughs> I, am, uh, I feel and I tell my assistant all the time, like, can you please remind me every single week that I want to text every single person that, because you just get, you know. You just like congratulations. The wine's yeah. in the bag, and I'll talk to you in November. Yeah. You can't do that. You you have to you have to keep in that in that mind frame. Yeah, it's, I think it's the most difficult thing. Yes, of a true fun. successful agent. I think if you can, if everyone can master that, then you You'll have a okay. for sure. Yeah. So an agent comes to you and they say, "Listen, um, I want to sell high end real estate. I'm new to the business. What's the first piece of advice you get?" Uh, it could be a young agent, could be an experienced agent, but they want to sell luxury real estate like you what do you what do you give them as advice well i'm probably a little bit of a dream crusher <laughs> i try not to be i really try okay. I don't, i'm just okay so this is what i say it's like dating in your 40s you know instantly pretty much i mean i would say within an hour you know if you're going to want to keep dating that person it's just it's weird you don't know it until you're in your 40s but then you just know and you don't want to waste your time you don't want to waste their time well okay. i've been hiring agents for so long and i've done this for so long that the second I sit down with an agent, I know, like, I just know if it's going to work or not. And I don't, I don't tell them that I know it's going to work or not, but I definitely don't sugarcoat it. I definitely don't, you know, I let them know how much hard work it's going to be, especially to step into the luxury luxury segment. Um, They have to have something like I have to see, they, they have to have something in their background that stands out that tells me, I know that it can translate. Like they don't have to have real estate, but it has to be something that translates. Like they have to be able to say, well, I did this job over here and it will translate this way then into real estate. Yeah. If you know, that's the biggest thing is that they have to be willing to put in the mentoring. They have to be willing to be mentored and coached because luxury is a whole other thing because you not only have to learn the real estate, you have to learn the language, right? You have to understand 1031. You have to understand reverse 1031. You have to understand tax gains and tax losses, and you have to understand their language or they're going to eat you alive. So it's not like you can just decide to start selling luxury real estate and you get lucky by chance and get a $3 million listing, but can't talk the talk when it comes down to it, or you can't negotiate or all the different things. It really, you have to want to put in the time to learn I tell everybody, it's like if you went to try to become a lawyer and the first day you started, you went and tried to, you know, go to go to court, it would fail miserably. So real estate is the same. Yeah. There's a mixture of, um, are you talking to me now that you want to be a luxury real estate agent as a person who wants to know where the luxury people are to get new clients? Or are you talking about how to be a successful luxury agent? Because those are two totally different things. I could show That's you where it. the clients are. I can give you the phone numbers. That doesn't, yeah. that's not really going to help you. Maybe you get lucky. But if you're not an expert and practicing how to be an expert because your client is an expert in their field and that's why they can afford what they can afford. So they only deal with the best of what they do. So they only want to deal with the best in their home too. Yeah. So it's the same kind of thing, right? That's it. And you have to go all in. I find that a lot of new agents are um, 
not necessarily willing to give up their day job, so to speak. And I think the only path to success is you have to go all in. You have to take the risk. You have to be really uncomfortable um, in every way and go to just that full, like you said, commission-only sales. Because if you are, if you're still getting a paycheck, you're never going to have enough fear behind you to propel you to work 24-7 to be successful. It just, I've never seen it work unless there was just pure all in. Right. So the, when I tell my story of how I got into real estate, there's, there's a portion of the story, which is like, you know, I was an all American swimmer, I coached the national team for USA swimming. And then wait, then how did you wait? So then you're selling high end real estate. Like where, where's the, did you do it like halfway? So there's always this come to the point in the story where there's a burning of your boats. There's that all in whether you, whether it was your choice or sometimes these stories end where, I was spending so much time doing this. I got fired from the other thing and now I had no choice. I got pushed off the ledge one way or the other, but it's, you're right. And it's a mixture of like maybe the, the getting jacked up in the morning with the, with a pump up song, that's motivation. But then a motivational fade off. It's gotta be deeper. It's like intrinsic. It's like that. It's like, yeah, no, this is real. There's a whole lot happening here and there's no chance of failure for me. So now I'm all in, like you're saying, you'll study harder, you'll work harder, you'll be better. And all those different pieces of workout. Right? Yeah, right. Absolutely. So um, let's talk about the market. Uh, so you're in Florida, and you're in. You're, you're talked about you being in a section of Florida, not necessarily the most well known by the East Coasters. Like for me, again, I, I talked about this before with you. Like the Naples market, the Fort Myers market, the market like Marco Island. You say to people, "Where in Florida?" They either name on the East Coast or those places on the West Coast. Florida, but your market since COVID has changed a, a lot because now that people are seeing so much of the value, um, where so talk a little bit more about your specific market and the biggest changes that you've seen in clientele coming in from different places and now maybe what they're looking for changing than maybe what it's been in the past. So we went from being very much the southeastern feeder market. Base. So we were mainly Birmingham, Atlanta, Texas, Louisiana, Georgia, Atlanta, you know, was huge drive markets, a lot of drive markets. And then COVID hit and it just turned it upside down. I mean, overnight upside down. We had a flood of people in from California, which I mean, California people never come here. (laughs) Never. Okay. So it was and then same with New York. And it was extremely interesting to me because I knew that the Northeast was going to be a really key component to our development as an area. But I thought, and that's a big reason why I decided to affiliate with Corcoran. And I wanted to have that, you know, connection to the Northeast in the Southeast. And of course, COVID flipped that switch overnight. And it it was a big part of our success is that the Corcoran name was recognized in, from the Northeast. And so those people sought us out. So we were the number one company getting those calls because there was comfort in knowing that name. And they knew that we'd be able to help them at the level they're used to being helped at where their you know, homes are. And it was instant. I mean, it was really instant overnight. Exactly. So, yeah, it was in, overnight because obviously Florida stayed 
a little more open and was, you know, a little bit more, I think people were just like, oh, we can come someplace warm and yeah. you know, our kids can do school and all the reasons they all, everyone went everywhere. But it was really cool for us to have all these people come to our area that had never been here before and experience it for the first time. And of course, that's what we always hear is we had no idea. We had no idea this part of Florida existed. We had no idea Florida, you know, look like this. And of course we have the white, white sand, yeah. uh, the most beautiful turquoise colored waters. It's a really magical place. And especially for families, it's, you know, our basis is mainly families that come and spend their summer breaks here, their spring breaks, their fall breaks. It's, you know, just extremely easy for them to be able to come here and enjoy that beach lifestyle. Is it, so in our market, March, April, everything hit 2020. June, July, we were slammed with rentals. Nobody knew where they were going. If they're, what was happening with the Hamptons, New York City, no one really knew. They just knew they weren't in the city. So we're slammed with rentals. No sales really yet. It was just all rentals. And then it translated into purchases. And then there you go. It all. Yes. What was it like that for you? Or did you find that the people were coming down? Were looking to buy or were they still renting or what what was that trend like they they were definitely like exactly what you're describing for sure but then we i feel like we had a three-prong approach going on so we already were in a hot market our market was already very healthy and so everybody in the beginning of 2020 that were hoping the market was going to cool down who had been on the sidelines who had not bought their second home yet realized they needed to get that second home. They were regretting that they hadn't bought the second home already because they didn't have their second home to go quarantine at. And so there was our first wave of buyers was everybody who had wanted to buy and was hoping the market would cool down and realized, oh my God, I'm going to miss out. That created our frenzy first and foremost was the people who already knew the area. So they all, oh my God, we probably wrote more contracts than I can even remember, just that immediate. And then it came the people who live here full-time. So we don't have a lot of full-time residents, but overnight our full-time residents realized they wanted to be on the lake. They wanted to get on the bay. They needed to get on the water. They needed to get a house with a pool. They needed a house with fence. They needed a bigger house because they thought they were going to be maybe stuck, you know, for however long and their kids were going to be doing school from home for the next year. And their houses were all very small, very fast overnight mentally. I, I had so many local friends, um, change you know their housing situation very quickly and then that third component which was all the new people who were coming here to rent fell in love with it and realized they wanted to have a place here knowing they were always going to go back to their primary home but they were going to buy the home until things were better and then have it as a second home slash investment so have you have you has it been pretty much the same like so you're saying it was it mo- mainly secondary home before and yes. it's still secondary home or are you seeing more full-time residents more full-time. than ever? Yeah. yeah. More full-time. I mean, it's still second home is always going to be the bigger percentage, but more full-time. We've never seen so much of primary. I mean, our schools, the enrollments, like obviously way, way up everything from a primary has just, I don't know what the percentage is, but it's, it's gotta be pretty staggering. That's incredible. Yeah, the trends of where people left and where they went and changing their living circumstances and everything has been has been interesting. You know, whether it's L.A., New York City, wherever, yeah. it's been crazy. 
It's been so, the biggest shift, I think, in the history of real estate. That and yeah. how cool that we all get to be a part of it. I, I, I always find it like I'm so glad I went through, you know, the 08 recession. Like I love that I get to experience real estate in every every time in our history because you learn something every time. You realize it's just the most interesting career possible, and it always plays an integral role in history. I mean, real estate's always at the in yeah. the middle of it all, right? Absolutely. Yeah. We always food, water, shelter. Yeah. My dad always said, just try to be in one of those businesses. Yeah. Amazing advice. Best advice. So uh, just as we kind of wrap up, I have a couple of questions. I'm just interested to know your opinion on it. So this pandemic has shown a lot that I think it's healthier real estate market than people thought that thought that this thing was a bubble and, but there wasn't, there was no bubble there. There's nothing this was pretty sturdy financially, these mortgages and these loans and any defaults that would happen are pretty sturdy. Um, there's moratorium on basically all the, the extension on all the loans and everything. Where do you see this real estate uh, boom going? Do you feel that we are eventually it's slowing down or plateauing? Will it keep going up? What, what, do you, what do you predict here? So... It is so hard to predict these things. I know. It's a, it's, I swear, it's a loaded question. I know. I know. And I swear every time I do, I feel like I'm jinxing myself. I like whatever I say, the opposite's going to happen. Yeah. But <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> I don't even want to say it out loud. So obviously based on the low inventory, it, and here's the thing that everyone doesn't realize. Low inventory isn't just so like we have a month and three weeks right now of inventory, but like three or four weeks of that is BS inventory. It's people just overpriced, like even more overpriced. So the real inventory is like nothing. So for us to ever even get back to a healthy six or seven months of inventory, I think that's going to take us at least, I feel like at least another year to two plus to even get, you know, some level of healthy inventory. I mean, interest rates obviously are going to continue to stay really attractive. So I think the only thing maybe that, starts to factor in. I mean, I think inflation is becoming a factor right now. And so that's the one piece of this that is just hard to predict. But at this point, I don't see any catalyst, especially here in Florida, um, for for us to see any end in sight. You know, the frenzy part, yes, that is already over. But just this extremely appreciating asset still, I mean, it's still going up. That's the thing too. We haven't even like, we're not even plateauing yeah. or anything. Like it's just still going up. And every yeah, time they, it gets a record sale, it gets beaten. That's right. And you're, you're seeing it all over the place. So it's it's interesting. Like if one of the advices, and I'm sure you give the same thing, is if you have somebody who is coming into a secondary market, and we get this especially from people who don't really pay attention. They're sure. just going off of gut. Like, yeah. well, it, I'm just going to hold on to my money and the, the real estate market will burst. Well, Okay, what will happen is your interest rate will go up. Any money That's that it. you want to borrow will go up. The, the real estate market will plateau. It's not going to dive down, and it's a large cruise ship. That's how real estate changes. It's not a speedboat. It's not stock market. It's going straight down tomorrow. It ain't going to happen. No. So they buy it now because it's only going to go up, right? Just Yeah, they're all hoping and living for another 08, and I just there's not a catalyst for that. No, you know, there's just not there's I'm not saying like you said, we, we can plateau and we may have little things here and there, but it's just not going to do what some people hope it is. So you might as well buy. Enjoy that beach house. We say enjoy the beach house. Make those memories, you know, 
let it let it make some rental income for you and then let it appreciate. I might have to talk to you about your market because I haven't thought about your market before. So I'm going to talk to you about that for sure. You need to start the trend. I have to say we don't actually have too many from Connecticut here. You need to start that trend. I should be the first one. You should. And then we can do a podcast about you being the first one to. It actually, I mean, here's the thing. We are such um, a healthy area for people to invest in those vacation homes because our feeder markets are huge. So being able to drive to your destination is massive because even if the market ever does shift, there is always the thing of, hey, we're still going to put the kids in the car and drive to the beach and share the house with two families and go to the grocery store and buy groceries. So it's one of the more safe investments. I invest in it. I have rental homes and I've been in it in the recession and not the recession and they've always performed well. Okay. Well, when this is over, I'll be definitely talking to you about that. But other people <laughs> should be talking to you about that as well. So where can they learn more about you, get a hold of you? What channels do you want to send them to? Any social media you want to put out there? Uh, what would you like to tell people that want to find you? We'd love to, for you to connect with us, um, Cork and Reverie, on social media, I think is the easiest way, Instagram and Facebook. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on. And congratulations to all your success and your continuing success. And I'm sure people will be checking you out on uh, your social and on your other platforms and on your website. And if you have any other information or any other questions for Hillary, you know how to reach her, check out the website, email her. And, uh, and thank you again so much for being on. And ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for being with us. Leaders of Lifestyle podcast. I'm your host, Michael Ferraro. Until next time. Uh, 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 uh.